This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about by my co-host, John Syracuse. I'm Dan Benjamin. Today is Friday, February 17th, 2012. This is episode number 55. We would like to thank our sponsors, Rackspace.com, Squarespace.com, Hover.com. I'll tell you more about them as the show progresses. We also want to mention that the bandwidth for this episode is provided by Mac Mini Colo, low-cost, high-performance, the perfect Mac server. Check out macminicolo.net slash 5x5 for very special deals. Happy Friday to you, Mr. John Syracuse. Happy Friday to you, Dan. Why, thank you. Have you already begun writing your review of Mountain Lion? Uh, didn't we talk about my writing process once? I don't begin writing writing, but I've begun working towards it. Because now they have announced they're going to be on a uh, yearly release cycle. And what this means is that you are going to be writing 24 hours a day, seven days a week, nonstop. And your reviews will will have to, because it takes you the better part of a year to write one. Yeah, like I said, it's not the writing, though. It's uh, the, It really begins when I create a note and a tag collection in Yojimbo for the operating system. And traditionally, I don't do that until I know the uh, the name of the operating system, the name of the cat. No. So, yes, I have I have my mountain lion note. It has text in it. And, <laughs> yes, the process has begun. Uh, so, speaking of the name of the cat, mm-hmm. you... Wait, wait, you're not, you're not even going to let me do follow-up? Or jump I right just want to jump right into it. But we can do your follow-up, of course. I just want to put... This is the one thing that... It, it all comes down to this. You had prophesized that lion... Yeah, I, I heard you say that on Marco's show. I disagree well, with not you. Ev- not everybody listens to Marco's show. All right, go ahead. I'm just telling you right away, I already disagree. You had prophesized that lion, being the king of the jungle... This this should signify the yes, end of the yes. big cat names because mm-hmm. they have reached the biggest of the cats with Lion, the king of the jungle. It's not actually the biggest, but yeah, the king of the jungle. And metaphorically speaking, the biggest, but you're yes. right. There is the, is the Liger biggest? I don't know. There's some other cat that weighs more. But I think the Liger is the biggest. Anyway, you, you, you believed that this should indicate the end of the cat names, we should move on to something else. I believe your suggestion was rodents. <laughs> no, that wasn't it. Or what, you know, wombat or something, but we didn't get the mountain lion. Yeah. In one, you know, did I say this last time? One of the reasons that I actually wished they would get off the cat names, uh, is that it would be a nice stopping point for me writing these reviews. Oh, you know cause I mean? you would like have done I, all, <laughs> that's right, why you I want did all the big cats, you know, <laughs> and now someone else has to take it from here. You know? uh, that makes sense. Would have been a natural stopping point. All right. Well, anyway, I just wanted to mention that and plant that seed in case it was not on your list. Yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't predict that they would. I said that they should. should. I still think they should have, but they didn't. Yeah. I guess they I, don't listen to you on in this show. Yes. Yeah, shocking. One right. small piece of follow up, and then we can get to it. Okay. My apologies for interrupting your uh, format. planned format. But your format I, breaker. I'm My apologies have been submitted. Uh. I have to put this one follow-up in because the this is a link that more listeners sent me than any other link in the history of this show. <laughs> it's the uh, a link to an article by Timothy Messer Cruz 
called The Undue Weight of Truth on Wikipedia. Um, you, I think people CC'd you on the tweets too. Didn't you see this, this link about a thousand times? Yes. Yeah. Maybe it seems even longer because we didn't do the show last week. So I've got two weeks of people sending this link. So I felt <laughs> compelled that I must put this link in the show notes and briefly discuss it. Okay. This is an article from uh, someone who has a particular interest in a historical event and writes academic papers on it and was in the process of writing a book about it and happened to go to the Wikipedia page and saw that there was some information that was not correct on there. Uh, the main thing he kept on objection with is that uh, the page said that the prosecution didn't offer any evidence connecting the defendants with this uh, this crime that had been committed. And he said, oh, no, they totally did. Right? There was, it was a long trial. They presented lots of evidence. And, you know, I've studied all about it. I've written uh, papers about it. And I'm writing a book about it now. So he corrected it. And it got reverted. And they said, you have to provide reliable sources, blah, 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 the whole nine yards. And he says, well, I, I had cited things. I cited the Library of Congress and cited some of his own peer-reviewed articles on the topic, but they didn't like it. And so that, that was his first encounter with Wikipedia, not fulfilling their, their citation requirements. Uh, and it, the other thing that uh, where the title comes from is that one of the Wikipedians cited the undue weight policy which states, and this is a quote from the article, although I don't know if it's a quote from the policy, articles should not give minority views as much or as detailed a description as more popular views. So the Wikipedian said you should not delete information supported by the majority of sources to replace it with a minority view. So his view that evidence was presented was a minority view because they had tons of sources citing the fact that evidence wasn't presented. And the undue weight thing is, I mean, he's adding the truth part, the undue weight of truth is like, if every historian says X and you say Y, uh, you, you you can't just delete X and put in your Y even if it's actually true. Uh, so this guy waited two years until his book on this historical event was published and he said, now, aha, now I have a proper Wikipedia leg to stand on because he could cite, see, his book was published, right? A book on the topic of this event and now he can cite that. Uh, and so he did a big update citing his own book on the on the topic and it got reverted again pretty quickly. Uh, and the Wikipedian says, as a, by way of explaining why this is reverted, if all historians save one say that the sky was green in 1888, our policies require that we write, most historians write that the sky was green, but one says the sky was blue. As an individual editors, we are not in the business of weighing claims, just reporting what reliable sources write. And so this, you should follow the link in the show notes if you want to read this entire article. Uh, it is a pretty close echo of my experience, albeit with much more academic rigor and importance than, you know, some little thing about the finder and many people sent it to me because it's such a echo of what we talked about so so there you go that's my only follow-up and I, I had to say that because the sheer weight of pointers to that article uh, is overwhelming you were you were overwhelmed yes okay that's but it now, that's your only follow-up yeah, that's it uh, and i have one topic right before we get to mountain line which is mountain line related it actually is a mountain line topic uh so Someone named Kenneth Reitz, R-E-I-T-Z, uh, apparently uh, involved in the Homebrew Project, the thing that lets you compile Unix software on Mac OS X without having to deal with all the make files and everything. Right. Very handy. Uh, it's way better than other attempts like Mac ports were at, at putting this together. You install Homebrew, you type brew space, install space, and the name of the utility that you want installed, it just does it. It's genius. It's perfect. It uh, obfuscates all of the tutorials that I wrote over the many, many years on Hive Logic. It's a genius. I wish they called it something else, but it's grown on me. And uh, you said it, it obfuscates your articles. It doesn't obfuscate your articles. Well, Some other 
obviates the need for. Yeah, that's a better way to say it. Thank you. Anyway, yeah. So uh, he was annoyed, and several people I can imagine being annoyed by the fact that if you, if you want if you want to do any of this stuff, you want to compile software for Mac OS X, you uh, need to have the compiler. And yeah. The compiler isn't installed by default, and the traditional way to install the compiler, according to Apple, is, oh, just install the <laughs> development tool. Right, which is like 8 terabytes of yeah, stuff. It's like, it's like, you know, 1.3 gigs worth of Xcode and all the stuff that comes with it, and just this huge amount of stuff, and you're like, geez, I just want like GCC and the headers and, and the, 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 you know, all, all that stuff. It's like you have to download the entire internet onto your Mac just to be able to compile, you know, WGET. Yeah. And I mean, personally, I I found that a little absurd too. But I tend to want to have the dev tools because I like being able to just fire up a project or open someone else's source code or whatever. But for people who aren't into that, I can see how it's annoying. So he made his own little uh, OS 10 GCC installer, which was just like, let me just rip out the command line parts and wrap that up into an easy to install package. So say, oh, if you just want to use Homebrew to like install some little open source piece of software, right? You don't need all of Xcode. Just get my little installer with like you know 100 megs or something, and it'll put all that stuff in there. And it was a little bit sketchy because there's some files that he couldn't distribute that were part of Xcode because uh, because of licensing restrictions. You know, they weren't GPL'd and he was mixing with GPL, all that stuff. Uh, so as part of Mountain Lion, uh, actually, Apple contacted him and talked to him about that tool and then didn't say anything for a while. And as part of Mountain Lion, suddenly Apple has an official command line tools for Xcode download, which is 171 megabytes. It's officially from Apple, totally supported. And if you just want to uh, use Homebrew to install some Unix software, you no longer have to download gigabytes of xcode just go get this free download the link is in the show notes and it's directly from apple so and that's great. there's that's even awesome. there's even a supported way now to uninstall the developer tools i'm not sure if this was around before but he's uh suggesting in the link that in the story that he wrote that you linked to uh that you you can and potentially should uh uninstall the developer tools i'll tell you what i'll tell you where this is this is really useful or i'll tell you who this is useful for and 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 why I really am thrilled about this is we use a number of Mac Minis uh, behind the scenes for for five by five, and I host them over at macminicolo.net. And w- what a pain it is to have to go and install Xcode, you know, remote to the machine, uh, visually install Xcode, wait for it to download, and all of that stuff. When I'm never going to launch Xcode on a remote Mac Mini, I just but I do need it to build. I do need to build some of these tools. That's a great thing. And again, for people who have no interest in running Xcode ever, maybe they're Rails developers, but they need to install things locally or they want to, you know, who knows? This is so great. And it's so great to see that Apple reached out to the guy and integrated it instead of just doing something like it. And, you know, they involved them. It was nice. My mute key isn't working in Skype anymore. It started like two weeks ago. You and Marco both wanting to mute constantly. What's yeah, going I, on I that you have to mute? I asked them about the show. Well, I have a cold now, so I'm blowing my nose. Oh. I just blew my nose. I hope you didn't hear it. No, I didn't. I got to go to the menu and do it. All right. Uh, yeah, uninstalling, <laughs> uninstalling the dev tools with that tool from Apple, that makes me feel good when they provide a tool for it because then you expect it to work. Right. Uh, and there's an interesting reason why you might want to uninstall them because of the new way Xcode works, which we might get to. Uh Depending on how we go. All right, so that's that's Mountain Lion related because that was released at the same time as Mountain Lion. So now Mountain Lion feels like I just did a MacOS 10 review. <laughs> Doesn't it feel like that? It feels like didn't I just do this? I'm still almost like recovering from it. Yeah. Some people haven't finished reading it yet. <laughs> that just shows that they got to the boring part. And that's couldn't, true. Couldn't, couldn't recover. I got people <laughs> tweeted me. They they must have like you know got to a boring part and stopped reading and just said oh, I'll go back to it some other time. And now there's another OS announced. 
Yeah. Uh, where do you want to start with this? There's so much. Where do you want to start? I have the only thing I, I definitely do want to talk about is Gatekeeper, but we can start any place you want to talk. Uh, Gatekeeper is probably an excellent place to start if that's where you'd like. Uh, one thing I would like to ask before that, have you tried out uh, messages in, in place of iChat? I have. Oh, I, I installed it and played with it a little bit. I, didn't, I haven't been using it, using it for IM. Did you uninstall it? No, not yet. I used it for a day and I uninstalled it. And I'll, I'll tell you the only reason uh, that I did this. I love the functionality that it brought, but there is something that was going on with it. It's a little bit, a little bit jarring. And I'm, I'm curious to know if you experience this because I know you have uh, complained about similar things. There's a little, there's a little sidebar, or if you want to call it a left-hand pane that has a list of the people that you are chatting with. If you have multiple chats uh, two, three at a time. And when you send or receive a new message, the person for whom you have communicated just then with that, their name, which is actually, it's relatively tall kind of, kind of block on the left-hand pane will slide up above the other ones. And if you happen to be receiving multiple messages at one time or within close time uh, to each other, the, the, this this left hand pane is con- constantly shifting and sliding up and up and down and other things moving around and you're like why is this thing moving constantly your click target to pick the person is constantly changing uh, and it's a sort of jarring activity that seems to be happening by itself in a slightly disturbing way uh, now people have been quick to point out well this is exactly the way that it works on the iPad this is the same way the iMessage app works on the iPad and that's exactly why I don't use it on the iPad because I don't like seeing now it's a little less jarring because of course with everything on iOS it's a full screen app uh, using this in the full screen didn't really solve it it just kind of seemed silly so wondering if you noticed that there's no way to turn it off apparently but- you should, I think there's a pref because I I, re, I recall seeing a preference for reorder the sidebar thing. I'm not I not don't have the messages app in front of me now, so I can't. Like, were you sure there's not a preference for that? I, it's, it's certainly possible that I missed it. Of course, I could have missed it. But you I've, uninstalled it by now, so you can't check. Well, it's it. easy to put it back, but I, I I don't have it on the computer anymore because it was uh, going crazy. But here's here's the thing. I thought that you it was when that sorting menu when I had the thing selected and went to the view menu went to the sort I thought it was for the regular buddy list there wasn't anything in there that I saw I meant, well, I should join the chat room I uh, and see if they're shouting in there of course you can no, change they're, it they're not because I don't know how many people have used iMessage but I could swear that there was an option in there I yeah animation like that I don't like seeing things move out of the corner of my eye yeah uh, I don't use I don't use iChat I use Adium for my uh, yeah, I am. So that's that's why having it installed is not going to bother me because I'd never use that. But I don't like the UI so far, and I don't. I know I don't like things integrated into one window. I like separate windows for people. I like that Adium remembers the size and position of my separate windows. Yeah, you know. So I don't think I'll be using that. I really, what I was really hoping for is that they would break out FaceTime from it. They're like, oh, now finally they're going to have messages, which will just be for text-based things that it, that folds in SMS and AIM and Jabber and all that other stuff, right? And then they'll have FaceTime, which is clearly the video, because iChat was weird, because it was like you did video there too, but you also had the FaceTime application. Yeah, so yeah. This, this big consolidation of applications that, that they're doing in Mountain Line, like finally they'll they'll separate stuff out, but no, it still is video. So I'm confused how messages has anything to do with video or screen sharing. But, you know, yeah. baby steps, I guess. Actually, before, before we get to Gatekeeper, I'll talk about two minor topics one is the super weird <laughs> release experience or at least 
weird for Apple. The idea that there's no no invitation that goes out in the mail with a little picture and some words, and press doesn't fly to California and stand in front of people and they get presented. Instead, they call individual people in the media, have them come in secret and give them a keynote for one. Where they do the keynote presentation and you're the only one in the audience. Yeah. I guess I wonder if you feel like you have to applaud, like yeah, you know, yay, good good job, Phil. But he needs the feedback or you just sit there stone-faced with your arms folded. Uh, but Gruber had a great post about his experience doing that. Uh, and to, as far as I know, he's the only one who's posted about his experiences doing that. Uh, and that, this, is just, this is just weird for Apple. This is a, a change in the way that they release things. And as Gruber alluded to, the obvious question, which he was too uncomfortable to ask is, uh, you know, we, we're, we're doing things differently now. Now meaning like after Steve is gone, you don't want to bring that up. Obviously, it's a little insensitive, but... It's hard not to make that connection that now Apple has decided to do things differently. And, you know, how many years of Steve did we have from 1997 in, until 2011? And then he leaves and suddenly the way they do things changes. It could just be a natural evolution. This was going to happen anyway. Uh, and it also could just be an experiment that Apple's trying. But that totally caught me by surprise that they would not actually have an event for this. You know, it didn't even get the homepage. It didn't even get the Apple.com homepage. The right. iPhone 4S stayed there the whole time. Mountain Lion just got like one of the three boxes in the, in the bottom. So that was very surprising to me. Uh, and Mountain Lion itself, I think it has too many syllables. <laughs> too many <laughs> syllables. Too many syllables. It is, the, it is the record holder for the largest number of syllables of a big cat name, right? The previous record holder was Snow Leopard, which is three. Mountain Lion is four. You could slur it together if you want. Uh, but it does, doesn't roll off the tongue. But but they dropped Mac from Mac OS. Yeah, that's what so I'm saying. They may, maybe they have a quota. They bought like, it. Yeah, they had, to, they had to keep it. They had to keep it, it up. They had, well, they had a limit, rather. A limit on syllables. So they, well, we, once we go over three syllables in the cat name, we got to cut one off. All right, drop the Mac. <laughs> they were doing that the last time with Lion. They were doing OS X Lion all over the place. But they were inconsistent. Some things said Mac. Some things said OS X. Seems like, like the marketing department really wanted OS X Lion. But a lot of the code and the developers, you know, all over the all over the actual OS itself, you could see Mac OS ten. Oh, it'd be interesting to see a mountain line if the marketing department puts its foot down with the developers and says <laughs> every place that this operating system name appears in the operating system itself, get rid of the Mac part. Well, they have it is it is official. It's been covered in some different places. But Neil Patel, a friend of mine over at uh, The Verge, has a, a little article which I will put into the show notes. Uh, that uh, he actually, here's, here's what he says. There's an equally big change quietly afoot in the Mac. Uh, the Mac in Mac OS X is no more. Instead, Apple's desktop operating system is now simply called OS X. We confirmed the official name change with Apple, who told us that the preferred full name is OS X Mountain Lion. And a quick look around the company's new Mountain Lion pages reveals that the tweak is already well in effect. That's not to say that the Mac brand has been demoted, as it's still used throughout Apple's site, it appears that Mac is being used to identify hardware products, while OS X refers to the software. As with everything else about Mountain Lion, that matches the iOS naming scheme of calling the iPhone and iPad by separate names than the than the OS, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, yeah, uh, and I mean, I, that was probably the real policy in line. I don't know if anyone has never asked that, but having the policy and actually expunging all the instances of, of uh, capital MAC from the strings that are part of the operating system are two separate things. Uh, so we'll see if they get that consistent. I, I, seriously speaking, why, like, why did they leave Mac off? The, is, did he say that 
Apple said that they're trying to leave Mac only for hardware, or is he just deriving that from the fact that it's still attached to the hardware but not attached to the software? Uh, I think the latter. I think he, he is – that is his – what T- is he? Tea leaf reading. Yeah, he's inferring that from what they're saying. I think he's yeah. probably right, and it would make sense, but – uh, yeah, he. I don't think that they told him that. Yeah, I, I could ask him. I think leaving off the Mac. Oh, I'm, I'm just speculating, just like he was. But it strikes me as a recognition that, uh, like it or not, having a Mac, even in this day and age, is still there's like a stigma attached. Like you're not like you don't have a PC, you have a Mac, and. They want the brand of the operating system not to be tied to any of the baggage that my, the the bad baggage that comes along with Mac as far as mass market penetration goes. Like I see it as trying to crank up the glass ceiling on possible Mac ownership because you know iPhone is sound like gangbusters and everything like that. But it's like my one of my favorite things to think about is what is the glass ceiling on Mac uh, market share in the PC market. Now, it could be just that the PC market becomes so unimportant that who the heck cares. But still now, even with the Mac growing like crazy and outgrowing the market for, you know, six years uh, running, what are they at like now? Single digit percentages still of the PC market, maybe double depending on where uh, you're measuring it yeah, from. I think it's still single, but. Yeah. And, and, you, and so maybe they're like, look, we need some headroom here. Not that the PC market is that important. Clearly, the future is in iOS and all that stuff. But what, geez, wouldn't it be nice to have everyone using a Mac and maybe they think one of the barriers there is the Mac name. I don't know. Uh, This is the type of thing that they're not going to talk about. They're going to tell you what they're doing and maybe give you a pitch they think you'll believe, but I'm not sure what the real reason is. Uh, But the fact that there's lots of extra syllables is just as good enough a reason as far as I'm concerned. So the short one that everyone is using is Molo. You down with that? Molo. Molo from Mountain Lion. No, I've never... (laughs) I haven't even heard that yet. I think, was J-Lo the first one to uh, do it's it? It's horrible. J-Lo, Joko, Molo. It's terrible. You don't like Molo? People no. doing it in tweets because you don't have room. And, you know. <laughs> Why not just 10.8? I mean. <laughs> you need a text expander shortcut if you're writing an article about it. Just you can type Molo and then it'll uh, expand out. Molo. Yeah. Terrible. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> We continue, and so as for the yearly thing, and oh, the more, yeah, yeah. For for every writing, so for people who don't know what this is, Apple also announced that they are on now a yearly schedule for OS ten releases. So ten point eight will be coming out, and from from the release of ten point eight every year, we're going to have a new version of the uh, of the operating system. They were not clear whether that was going to be a uh, version. In other words, like we had Lion, which was big. Now we have Mountain Lion, which even though it has the sub cat name, the way that Leopard had Snow Leopard, if we remember back to Snow Leopard, Snow Leopard, they really didn't introduce new features. They just made everything better, faster, and more stable and as I've mentioned on the other shows, in my experience and most of the experience of people I've talked with, it has been one of the most, if not the most stable, bug-free release of OS X in, in history, Snow Leopard. Now, Mountain Lion is not to Snow Leopard, what, you know, it, it's, not an, it's not bug fixes, more stable. I mean, maybe we'll get that, but it's plenty of new features. It's a lot of redesign. It's a bunch of new stuff. 
And the implication is that they're moving forward, they're plowing ahead. Does that concern you at all? Because I know you've expressed what what I've expressed also, which is that Lion is not always uh, maybe as reliable and stable as we'd like it to be. Well, the first concern is about uh, writing schedules. Can I write something as long as I've usually been writing uh, every year? Uh, And that's exacerbated by the fact that if they stick to summer releases, you know, quote unquote, just in quotes, coming out in summer, whatever the heck that means. And guess when WWDC is? It's also summer. None of them, neither one of those things have actual dates. And I do rely on the information uh, disseminated at WWDC in a tremendous amount when writing my reviews. So it's in, it's the same place we were with Lion. Like, oh, geez, are they going to release it before the show? In which case, uh, I'm screwed either way. Are they going to release it? At the show, I'm still kind of screwed. If they release it two weeks after the show, then I'd still like to go because maybe if I don't go to the WWDC, they uh, talk about it and then two weeks later release the OS and then release the videos. And so I will have no time to, re- to watch the stuff or say they release the videos right the day after WWDC and then I have to watch them all, you know, in time to beat the release date. So it adds a lot of uncertainty for me about what kind of volume I can produce and how much detail I can go into and whether I can get the information I need because it really depends on when WWC falls and when the release is. So I'm very nervous about that. Uh, now, as for the content of, of the release, you would assume that if they're going to go yearly, they can't put as much stuff in. Uh, maybe that's not true. Uh, obviously, you say, oh, well, you know, Snow Leopard, was, you know, no new features. Uh, but they spent a long time on it. it it's not... When people think about it, do they put lots of why should I buy it? Do they put lots of stuff in? It's like they want to see stuff they can see in screenshots. So uh, measured in that regard, uh, Mountain Lion has a whole bunch of new stuff. It's got entirely new applications, new interfaces for old applications. You know, if you were just to look at the screenshot, you see that looks. You'd say that looks nothing like Lion. I don't have that online, and that's on. You know, but does that take longer? Uh, does that take more time and effort than Snow Leopard? And do they do they have? as much time for internal changes, which I usually have a whole section dedicated to internal changes. Maybe there won't be a lot of internal changes. So I don't know how I'm going to play this in terms of getting the review done and how much, how much is there actually to write about in one year, every single year. Uh, maybe, maybe they still will do kind of a TikTok model and the Intel model where they'll do lots of core OS changes and then they'll add a bunch of fancy apps and then core OS changes and a bunch of fancy apps. Now, Line would be like the CoreOS changes and two fancy apps. Like they redid the address book and some other stuff and they mangled Safari and, you know, but it wasn't like this. This is like, you know, all those apps, you know, and love that you use all the time. Well, we're just, we're redoing them all. And yeah, some of them we already redid in line. So you already got the new mail and we're not really going crazy with that. And the new address book, we'll try to tweak a little bit, but, uh, iChat is gone. iCal is renamed. Uh, we're adding, you know, notification center and, and a new notes application and just, you know, that's a lot of stuff. But I don't know if that stuff takes longer than creating uh, Grand Central Dispatch or you know Core Image or something like that, or one of those core features that that came along in the in the uh, other big releases. Uh, so uh, we're all we're in uncharted territory here. Uh, I don't quite know how it's going to go, and I don't know what kind of beast Mountain Line is really going to be in terms of uh, writing review and uh, actually what what content is in the OS. I was very surprised that they released the the developer preview too at the same time. Uh, although that stuff that stuff's under NDA, right? Like they have the videos on their site, 
and any reporter who wrote about stuff based on their press briefing, well, that's fair game, but I still can't talk about like the stuff that's on the developer side, right? I don't I don't know what the rule is on that. I think so. I, I would say I would assume I can't talk about that because there are some internal changes. I've just started looking at them, but uh, now, so what's, far, inter- what's interesting though in, to, to that point is oh gosh, we got to do our first sponsor too. But to 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 your point there, it seems like a lot of the attendees of WWDC, for example, there was a really big article on uh, Panic's blog yesterday. We all know and love Panic. Uh, that they seem to have some deep familiarity with a lot of the things that were going on in, in Mountain Lion. I didn't attend WWDC, uh, but how much of this was common knowledge? I mean, it sound it sure did sound like, I mean, maybe they went to the, uh, to the press thing. They were brought out there. I don't yeah, know. They, they got briefed. They got briefed. That's it. They got it comes down. Briefed. I think, I think one of the reasons they got briefed is because they made a lot of noise about sandboxing and they're a prominent Mac developer and so on and so forth. Uh, that's, Incidentally, when the announcement came, I knew that there was something coming, but I didn't know the details. And I also knew about Mountain Lion, but I didn't put two and two together. I'm like, well, it's not going to be Mountain Lion because they always send out invitations for that. So it's got to be something else. So I was sure it was going to be a sandboxing thing because developers have been waiting for a sandboxing, like a decision from Apple on what to do about the whole sandboxing thing. They keep moving the deadline for enforcing sandboxing on all Mac App Store apps. Uh, And that's the type of thing they could do without a press thing or an announcement. So (laughs) I was very surprised when the next day... Mountain Lion is is here, but still no announcement on sandboxing. And so I think Panic was brought in because the you know they're a company that has expressed a lot of opinions about both of these issues. And I think Apple wanted to sort of I don't know why I, I really don't know the rhyme reason for how Apple chooses who to brief. Like for example, I think MG Siegler got briefed because Jason Snell said he saw him on Apple's campus on the day he was getting briefed. Mm-hmm. But Ars Technica did not get briefed. Now, nothing against MG Siegler, but why does he rate getting brief, but ours doesn't? Like he's one, he's one. Granted, a prominent blogger, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand how Apple. Like you would think, oh, Apple just wants to brief people who always say nice things about them. Well, MG says he's not, uh, you know, uncritical of Apple. Uh, will Will we ever know? Will we ever understand? I have more questions for John Gruber today when when we uh, I do his show after this one. As far as how the sort of logistics of that work, were they all gathered in a big room ahead of time? Were they brought up in separate shuttles independently with a, you know, a, a burlap sack over their head? You know, how did they do? How did they do it? Yeah, Gruber points out that that uh, Andy Nako didn't get briefed either. I mean, they, that's you know, they weird. Nice, the PR people will call you day of, but who, who gets early access? How do they decide? Not that I begrudge the people who got early access their their access, but it just seems weird. Like. It's not like they're blacklisting people. It's like, look, we just got to pick. Maybe they pick like one of each. Like we want one of this type of thing, one of this type of thing. And obviously, you know, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal and stuff like that. Uh, that probably is still a frustration to people who are in this business. It's like what we feel like we're doing good reporting on Apple. And they uh, if they're going to be doing this thing where some people get early access, why don't we get it? And you don't want to get into the game of like, oh, they only give it to the people who write nice things. Because I don't think that's true. I I just think they have people they like and have people they don't like. And that's totally their right, but it's got to be frustrating if you're in this business. Oh, especially because it seems like they are, well, I mean, like, I understand where Apple's coming from, right? And that you, you don't necessarily want to tell everybody, but how, why not, Andy? Why not, of all people, like, you've got to brief Andy. 
I mean, it's not. He writes for the Chicago Sun Times. It's not. A, he, it's yeah, not he's, an obscure be, publication. No, and and he's got a, a really big show with Mac Break Weekly. I mean, it seems like he would be the right person. Yeah. Well, anyway. And, yeah, and the whole idea, like the reason you get early access in the regular non-Apple world is because they want to give people who are who, who, in the press lead time to actually write about something so that the day of all of a sudden a bunch of articles appear about the topic that in in the rest of in any other industry that's normal like you give the car magazines an early look at your car so they come to your center and do test drives and like go the whole nine yards right and get and then they go back and they write their big long article about the preview of the new car and then like a month later it appears on newsstands all at the same time like you know the embargo was lifted that's that's how regular products always work apple has not been like that ever in the jobs two era and now they're starting to be like that, but they're they're doing it weirdly. Like car companies, for example, invite everybody. You know, if you have a car magazine, you're invited to come out. And I, then it seems that they would do it based on like prominence, like who has a big audience. Mm. So I don't, I don't know. It's it's strange. This is like I said, is uncharted territory for everybody. Uh, and I'm not sure how they're going to do this. And as I think you pointed out, was it you on on a on a Marcos thing? Why not just invite all the press at once? Why do the keynote for one? Why not have all the press in the same room, do right. the presentation once, you know, yeah, maybe I don't, once on East Coast, you know, or whatever you want to do. But individually, it seems like, boy, Phil's got to be tired of giving that presentation. Right. And that's, that's the, John Gruber points out. He says, oh, man, you know, this thing was rehearsed and prepared. And it was, well, he probably gave it 20 times already. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, like, that's why it was so prepared and rehearsed. Not saying, I mean, not to take anything away from the guy. Clearly, they took it seriously. And I bet you anything that the first time was as good as the 20th time he did it. But I mean, it just seems, it seems very interesting and weird to do it that way. And it, it, I think it's pretty cool in some ways. I mean, it's got to make, and maybe that's why they did it. Maybe they did it so that each individual person who was being brought in and briefed felt like it was very, very special and unique and just for them. And that's why they did it so that each person felt like Apple was saying to them, we like you, we trust you, be our emissary, be our PR department, and we'll keep doing these really cool things for you. Well, it's like when you separate prisoners when you interrogate them. <laughs> That's what it is. But you know how they give, they give, like, after the keynotes, they would pull in the press to give, like, you know, each one goes individually and talks to whoever Apple representative. They don't, let, they don't do the thing where there's a guy up there on a mic and a bunch of press waving their uh, notepads with their uh, uh, 40-style hats on saying... Uh, Mr. Jobs, Mr. Jobs, uh, what are, you know, they don't want that environment where the press becomes a mob and they're, they're, they're beholden to the press stands, you know, like the, the briefing room in the White House. That's exactly the environment Apple never wants to subject itself to. They like a controlled environment. And if it's a bunch of Apple guys and one reporter, that one reporter is clearly not the one in control of the situation. But if you get 17 reporters and you, get, you give the presentation, fine, give it to 17. You know, they do that all the time. They come to California for a press event. All the press sits in there. They give the presentation. They're done. But after that, you individually get pulled in to talk to people about it. It's not like they go, and now we will take questions. Because that's a totally different dynamic. Yeah. And Apple clearly favors the dynamic where they are the one in control. We are now presenting. You listen. No talking. No questions. Afterwards, you will individually come to a bunch of Apple people and talk to them with the PR person present. And there will be more Apple people there than you. And there's no you will not be able to get encouragement from the other reporters in the room and sort of start getting that, you know, start getting your reporter hat on and say, Oh, we're going to ask about this. What about this? Yeah. And what about, you know, they don't like that. But, and it's kind of silly, like for, for the briefings, 
I guess it's better to be brief than not to be brief. But the real issue is early access. Like, it's not so much the questions you get to ask them, because they're never going to... It's not like, uh, well, if I had been briefed, I could have asked them this question. They would have answered it. No, they're, they're going to... De- if they don't want to talk about it, they're going to deflect you. They're professionals here. They're not going to say, hey, when's the release date? And it's like, oh, darn, no one thought to ask that. Yeah. But I asked them and they told me. They're not going to tell you the release date. If they decide, they're not going to tell you the release date. Uh, but it's the fact that you get to take the thing home and use it for a week and write about it while no one even knows it exists. So then the day it comes out, you are there day and date with your review. Which must have been, this is going to be a strange change for Gruber too, because he just posted his review of the Steve Jobs bio. So he's used to being able to have take a leisurely pace. And if he's not ready to talk about it, he's not ready. That would be interesting to give him an early look. And then he doesn't post anything. Yeah, about all of a sudden, no, that's a really good point. And, and, and that, that, that's something that he said many times is that he likes to take his time with stuff and... I feel like there's the expectation from Apple that, hey, we're going to give you a private keynote and we're going to send you away with a MacBook Air. They they do have an expectation there. Well, there's a difference between like, I think the reason uh, Gruber doesn't want to feel rushed is because if, if, if you found out about it at the same time as the rest of the general populace, the worst thing is to have to go and now like get something up that day. Because it's going to be sloppy and not to the depth that he like. That's not his style, and that's not the type of publication he has. Yeah. But if you give if you give you a week with it, then that's that's probably like enough time to to get something significant. Like I think mostly he's trying to avoid, and I would try to avoid too. And I do try to avoid with my reviews. I don't want to like have to come up with something day of when I've just found out about it, and because it's just I don't I don't have it all settled in my mind at that point. And I don't want to have to write something just because that's the kind of publication we are. We got to have something up. Like there's plenty of places that have to have something up. Report the news, give a little bit of commentary, but I'm that's not my style. Uh, so a week may, may be more than enough time to get something out. Plus, this isn't review. This is like a preview type of thing. I, I, I mean, you saw this with Line when I never wanted to talk about it because I wanted to save it all for my review. I still kind of feel that. But if they're going to go with yearly, maybe that doesn't fly anymore. And maybe it's just got to be. I still just don't want to do one review. I don't want to do seven articles about it. I just want to say, look, here's my review. Here it is. But before leading up to it, I can discuss it a little bit and hash it out, I guess. Yeah. All right. Listen, we good. Yeah, we got to do our first. We're way behind. Way behind, John. Yeah. We got a really good sponsor, a new one that I'm going to tell you guys all about. Hover. Okay. Hover makes domain name symbol. This is what they do. Okay. This is like, it's like a breath of fresh air for domain names. That's how I want you to frame this in your mind when you think about it. So I'll tell you what some, let me tell you first what some customers of, of theirs are saying. I went on uh, this, you heard of Twitter? Do you use that? I have, but I'm muted. All right. I went, I went on there, used the Twitter. Here's what people are saying. Moving to Hover is like walking through a dirty closet and finding domain Narnia. Clean, simple, no tricks, no upselling. And that's the thing. These guys, they do not, they do not upsell. And that's what you go around. You, I don't want to name the, the ones that do this, but you know who I'm talking about. They have it, it. It's it's garbage. You try to get in there. You try to register a domain. You're up to a million different things. Oh, you wanted this. You want to sign up for this. Click here to not sign up for these twenty services. That's it's it, that's garbage. Hover.com does not do that. And here's how they do it. They have smart, simple tools. Their goal is to make every function from a renewing a domain name to changing your password, whatever it is, as intuitive and as easy as it could possibly be. Uh, they have like a FedEx style tracking system so when you're doing your domain name transfer it like it shows you where it is visually in the process i mean they're all about making this simple 
They've got tons of uh, helps and, and tutorials. They've got a wonderful team that takes pride in solving problems. If you call them from 9 a.m. Uh, to 8 p.m., the phone rings, a human being uh, answers right away, and they know they get it. They'll help you. Nothing fancy, just good intentions and uh, a really great execution. Uh, so here's what you do. You go to hover.com slash Dan sent me. And there's a special deal there. Use the coupon code Dan sent me uh, just for you guys, 10% off. So go check it out, hover.com. And if you're still on GoDaddy and didn't manage to get off it during the last big fit of everyone getting off GoDaddy, yeah. now is just now as good a time as any. Yeah. Maybe Why not? Did. Yeah. Why wait? I think I still have one that I couldn't get off GoDaddy. I think I have like a .name that I couldn't find somebody to take. I should see if Hover takes that one. Yeah, get off of there, man. Yeah, no, I got I got stuff off. What are you doing? I, I, and instead of like consolidating, I spread the love around. I'm like, all right, take stuff off GoDaddy. <laughs> just put this one up. Because I didn't, like everyone says, try this one, try that one. So I thought, oh, yeah, try them all. What do I care? Yeah. So I put a button. Now my domains are spread out across many uh, providers. And they're all better than GoDaddy, all the ones that were recommended to me. GoDaddy, I assume, will never be a sponsor of this show. Sorry. I I have to be honest. Um, we do have some standards here. And if if they were to contact me, with what they are currently offering, with what's out there right now on GoDaddy.com, if they were to inquire and say, we'd like, I would say, I'm sorry, I don't think that's a fit with, uh, with the audience. If they were to redo things, change things up, stop killing the elephants, whatever, I would, <laughs> I would definitely talk to them about it if they wanted to make a change. Everybody can change, John. I've got to believe Spoken like that. a true businessman. Got to believe not that. close the door and go no. to any relationship. They can change. You believe they can change. I believe everybody can change. It's that if, if I believe in one thing, fundamentally is that uh people everybody everybody can change and if they sent danica patrick over if that's her name maybe that would help it wouldn't hurt (laughs) all right so gatekeeper gatekeeper yeah three modes well this is interesting because my understanding from my my frenzied reading since yesterday is that uh this is another case where a third-party developer, a prominent third-party developer, apparently had a, a large amount of influence over Apple's direction in this area. So Will Shipley, in, in November of 2011, wrote an article called Real Security Mac OS X Requires Apple Signed Certificates. It was a blog post right. discussing sandboxing, which is this big uh, thing that developers are all worried about because many things that you would expect to be able to do are not allowed if you are <laughs> sandboxed. Uh, and... He looked at it and saying, "What well, what is sandboxing supposed to do and the entitlements and, and the, you know, you can do, you're allowed to uh, write files to disk, but only in this directory. Every single thing you do, you have to have an entitlement for doing. And and the second level is auditing where, okay, you have to submit your application to the Mac App Store and presumably they look to make sure it's not uh, harmful. And Will's point was that uh, entitlements and auditing are fine as far as they extend, but they not really are going to help you uh, with malware uh, because, first of all, entitlements like if your application needs to do something like needs to read from the address book because it's an address book application if it's malware of course it's going to masquerade as, <laughs> as an address book application and you're going to tell the mac app store people hey i need the read from address book entitlement i don't even know if that's real entitlement by the way but i need whatever entitlement because that's what my app does and they go oh, yeah that's fine yeah you should have that entitlement you are an address book app or whatever uh and auditing is you know you can't tell from a program whether it's going to do something harmful even if you have the source code it's very difficult it's so both of those things can't possibly actually stop malware. All they can do is make it a little bit harder to sneak malware past. And so uh, uh, Will Shipley's uh, suggestion was that 
each developer be given an individual certificate such that when you load their application, it is uh, inextricably and cryptographically linked to their identity that's on file with Apple. And if it turns out that you have mal that you know you've done something bad or you're a naughty developer, or it turns out that you have mal malware or whatever, Apple can revoke the certificate for that application, rendering an inert across all Macs. So this was Will Shipley's suggestion, and he was saying like oh, that sandboxing doesn't do this, that that uh, the approval process doesn't do this. What you need to have is to tie the person to the application and have have a uh, certificate authority controlled by Apple that can nuke this app remotely and say we found this app is bad kill it because all the other things means like if if you you know if your entitlements and auditing stuff lets the malware get passed then what do you do they're like oh my god one got passed you have no recourse you, and and really he's saying like like all, all you actually need is the identity thing because once something is malware we'll find out quickly because this is the internet and switch it off and then problem solved so gatekeeper is different less severe and actually a little bit simpler than what he suggested, but it does hinge on the idea of connecting developers' identities with applications, that you can prove I am company X or person X, this is my application, it is connected to me, and then it, Apple requires, you know, a name, an email address, a real address, like, whatever they want to, whatever they do for their developer program, so I can, I can connect this back to a person, all the way to the point where you can say if you did something illegal, that people would take legal action against you because I look this I this is not a mysterious application. We know the person who made this. We can find them. We have, you know, tax records for them because you know, it, you know like that it's not some sort of anonymous thing that we don't know where it came from, right? But the, the key difference with Gatekeeper uh, versus what uh, Will Shipley suggested is that Gatekeeper doesn't have that remote kill switch. It doesn't have the thing that nukes the app everywhere. And it sounds like, well, wasn't that the whole point? The whole point was if, you, if malware slips through, you need this remote kill switch. It's it's interesting that they didn't do that because they could have. You know, it's a similar type of thing. Like, oh, this will nuke the app. I think they actually have that for the App Store. I'm not sure. Uh, but all Gatekeeper does is block the the install or launch process. There's no kill switch to kill the application if you already got it. So when they revoke the certificate of bad company blah, application blah, that turns out to be malware, it will only stop new people from installing it. If you already have that application and have already launched it, you are not cured of that malware. Now they have a separate process for detecting malware. And the other thing they did in Snow Leopard and, and Line where it will say, this is malware because you recognize the signature, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that seems worse because like, well, what if I'm already infected? I'm not being helped. Well, look, once you know it's malware from reading the internet, or even if you don't know, like you've, you've already been infected by that point. Uh, so Apple's not taking it on itself to kill that application everywhere. Uh, and it is kind of like heavy-handed of like there's, there's an application that somebody has and they've launched it and run it for a while and then all of a sudden the next day it doesn't work. It's kind of like that thing Amazon did with the 1984 book where they changed the version of it or revoked it or whatever. People don't like that. It's creepy where something you were using is fine and then they uh, the next day it doesn't work. Uh, people are pointing out in the chat room that I guess maybe they don't have it for iOS. It's not for malware, but things like iMame. My copy of iMame still works just fine. Even yeah, mine works fine too. And my understanding is that if you have... If you bought it and or I mean, if it's free, but they still consider free like purchasing, if you have purchased an app, even if it is later subsequently removed from the store, you can still get it. Like I can put yeah. iMame on any of my iOS devices that I buy until they change this rule forever. If I get a new I, a new iPad today or when the new iPad 3 comes out in March, I go get it. I can put iMame on that because I already I got it. That's not malware. That's just like, oh, we don't approve of that. Yeah, right, but it's something that was that was in the store and then got rejected later or removed or pulled later. 
so they can do something different with the one malware. Uh, right. But so uh, the the point of gatekeeper is it seems like it it leaves people in the lurch. Uh, but uh, the analogy that that Will Shipley made on Twitter was great. Is that it's like it's like a virus, like a real virus. You don't need to cure people of the virus. You just need to stop its spread. And that's what Gatekeeper does. Like the second they flip that switch, you have quarantined it. That will no longer spread anymore because anybody who has not already downloaded and launched this application will not be able to do so. Because were they to do so, they'll see the certificates revoked and blah, blah, blah and they'll get the warning and stuff like that. Right. Uh, now, the three, the three radio buttons you were talking about are the different modes that you can run your Mac in. Right. One mode is exactly like Lion. You just run whatever the heck you want. And this, you know, it, it's it's exactly the same as in line. You know, when you in Safari or something, you download an application. The first time you launch it, it says this application was downloaded from the internet. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there already is like that battery's <laughs> been there since I think Snow, uh, Snow Leopard, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but that's the that's one mode. That's not the default. However, the opposite end of the spectrum mode is only run things from the Mac App Store, and that's straightforward to understand. It's like, look, anything that's not from the Mac App Store, sorry, not going to happen. And many people were afraid this would happen because it would really kill the third party market for applications outside the Mac App Store, uh, and it is an option on Mountain Lion, but that is also not the default. The default is only allow Mac App Store applications and applications that are signed with a certificate. Like, in other words, applications that we can trace back to a person according to Apple's record keeping uh, and that we can revoke the certificates for. Uh, and it's different in that right now, individual developers don't have a way to sign applications. I mean, you can you can do it with a code signature yourself and just sign it and make sure the application hasn't been tampered with. And this lets you do things like provide uh, an update to your application that doesn't ask you for the keychain warnings again because you can prove that it's the sa- from the same developer as before. But really, you could just be a fly-by-night thing and make your own little certificate. And the fact that, you know, all, all it does is help you prove that your application hasn't been tampered with somebody else. It doesn't protect you against malware because they have no way to find you and hunt you down and uh, hold you accountable and certainly have no way to revoke that certificate and disable that application. Uh, but the, uh, under Mountain Lion, the certificate, it would be an Apple-issued certificate. They would say, okay, you have proven to Apple that you are this person. Here is a certificate. Please use this to sign your applications instead of, like, the, your, you know, your own sort of self-signed certificate. That, that's, the, I guess, the equivalent of, you know, if you know about SSL self-signed certificates. It's a third-party vouching for you saying you are who you are, sign your apps with this, and that's the default mode. The default mode is anything from the Mac App Store is fine. And anything you download off any place on the internet, as long as it's signed by an, an official Apple developer certificate, we'll let that go through, too. Uh, and again, the idea is that if it turns out to be malware, Apple revokes the certificate, the people who are infected are infected, but we stop the spread. Uh, so it's very deferential to, uh, almost to a fault, to not stepping on people's toes. Uh, because you would assume that every single reputable developer is going to, I mean, they're already signed up for a developer program, probably, you know, assuming they're not pirating the development tools or anything. They're not going to submit to the Mac App Store, say so they're not into that. They're just going to put it up on their own website. Uh, they're they're going to want, they're going to sign it with the Apple certificate so they can show that they're up and up. You know what I mean? Uh, and that being the default, all it stops people from running are things that aren't signed. Now, what wouldn't be signed? Weird open source stuff, which probably people shouldn't be playing with anyway freeware and other stuff that's not maintained like and that you know that may be unfair to them it's like oh now i gotta get a certificate and i gotta sign this i just like having this free app there's lots of apps that run fine but they're not maintained for you know i haven't updated this version because it runs fine and it does some simple thing or it's made by developers who are not really mac developers primarily Uh, this may sound still like a grim scenario but realize that all this that i'm talking about is just a series of dialogue boxes on the first launch that say, 
something about do you want to run this or not. Uh, and there's even a bypass where if you right-click and select open, which nobody ever does. Have you ever done that to an application? It doesn't ne- happen. Never. Yeah. If you right-click an application icon in the finder and select open, it's the same as doing a double-click, but it's not the same on Mountain Line in one particular way. If you do that, it doesn't even put up the dialog box and says, hey, this thing uh, hasn't been signed or blah, blah, blah. Like, in other words, people, power users and people who just want to run stuff will not be prevented from doing so. All this is is a series of dialog boxes that are making sure that you want to do this. And, and the reason uh, requiring explicit action like that, that's important because malware, you can imagine wanting to like auto launch or run itself by make, putting it in your login items or do some other thing that's not initiated by you. That, that's like an extra level of malware on top of like it just doing something bad when it runs. So if you know what you're doing, even in the default mode, I mean, I might actually leave it in the default mode depending on how well all this works. Even in the default mode where it says, I only accept Mac App Store applications and things that have been signed by an Apple certificate, you can still run all your other stuff. You just, the first time you run it, right-click and select open, and, and it off it goes. Someone in the chat room says, are you sure that's not a bug? No, I'm not, I'm not sure that's not a bug. But, uh, <laughs> like, it, I'm pretty confident that power users and people who just want to run stuff aren't going to be impaired by the system of Mountain Line, but that it will do almost everything that Will Shipley was suggesting in terms of uh, stopping malware. Not by nuking it all remotely, but by simply stopping its spread if there ever is uh, any kind of outbreak. Nuke it for more of it. It's the only way to be sure. So this is a a very nice compromise. I think everybody's pretty happy with this compromise. Most developers I've seen and, uh, you know, talked to personally or read interviews with, they're like, you know, the nightmare scenario was Mac App Store only, and that didn't happen. And this is a pretty nice compromise incorporating uh, a concept that was not really present in line and earlier, which is the idea of a trusted Apple developer being able to stake their reputation on, you know, their application. Like, good good developers want this. Good developers want to be able to say, look, I'm willing to say, I'm willing to stand behind what I produce. Let my, my inherent goodness and my good intentions be worth something and don't treat me the same way you, treat, you would treat someone who is just trying to scam people or produce malware or whatever. That, that must be incredibly frustrating for people who are longtime, reputable, solid Mac developers being subjected to the same rules as people who are keyword spamming the app store and putting up a bunch of crap apps that have malware hidden in them and stuff like that. Some way to connect your reputation with your application and in exchange for that connection to receive benefits. And the benefits here are that you continue to sell your application outside the Mac app store. There's no approval process and Apple does not take a cut, but nevertheless, your application has given higher standing in the default configuration of the operating system than some random thing someone compiled and didn't even sign. Uh, now, on the issue of those dialog boxes that come up, uh, Dustin Curtis had a blog post complaining about the particulars of those dialog boxes, and I kind of don't blame him. Uh, so, Wait, one bef- of the before you boxes- do that, we better we better do our second sponsor, okay, just because other you, you know I don't want to I don't want to slam them all together, and that's why you can go blow your nose. Good idea. Second sponsor, Rackspace.com. Uh, Long time sponsor, but they've got some new stuff I want to tell you about. Uh, here's how I want you to think about them. They do, they do three things. A, uh, cloud hosting. Two, managed hosting. And uh, D, hybrid hosting. Those are the three things that they do, and they do them better than anybody else. So let's say that you'd go and you just want a little VPS. You just That's all you want right now. That's it. That's all that you need. You can go, you can get that. They give you that instantaneously. Boom, there's your server ready to go. 
Then later on, you get a client. A client says, oh, man, you know, we want our own server. We want it dedicated, but we want it managed. We want, a, we want an IT department to surround this server and just make sure that it's running. And we want 10 of these things. Guess what? Managed hosting. Rackspace has that. Oh, you, get, you, you want to combine all of these things? You want dedicated servers for performance-intensive applications? You want cloud servers for on-demand scaling so that when you uh, get linked up from one of the biggest sites on the internet, you can handle it? You want Rack Connect? That is what you need. Seamless linking of both environments. They're the only guys that do this. The only ones that do this. And they've got fanatical support. They're amazing. I've met these guys in person. I love love talking to them. They're doing some really cool sing- things at South by Southwest to support the community. Can't tell you about it yet. It's secret. Go to uh, rackspace.com to learn more about these guys. Absolutely love them. We're going to be doing some more cool things with them. So check them out. Thanks very much for their support. Rackspace.com. The dialog boxes. Yes, sir. Say you download Adium, which is an open source application. Sure as heck not going through the Mac App Store. Does not subject to any approval process. It's GPL, I think. I mean, uh, you download that on Mount Line and you try to run it. Okay. In the default configuration. The dialog box you get says, and it depends whether you're running it raw or running it from a, a, a disk image or anything like that. It says, Adium has not been signed by a recognized distributor and may damage your computer. You should move it to the trash. That's pretty harsh, huh? Yeah, move. That's like, telling you what to do with it. Yeah, and the buttons. I think there actually is a move to trash button. The default button on the dialog box I see in Dustin Curtis's thing is eject disk image. But I think that's only because it's from a disk image. Had you just had the application, you know, when they they completely expand and just the application ends up in your downloads folder. Yeah, I think then the default button would be moved to trash. So has not been signed by a recognized distributor. That's true. Like that's that's what Apple wants to get behind. They want to say, look, we want applications for people who stake their reputations on on this application, so that you know if they screw you, I'll never download software from this recognized uh, person again. And that's up to Apple to maintain, like you know, the, the identity system and make sure they don't keep trying to get new identities or whatever. Uh, and it may damage your computer. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, not signed by a recognized <laughs> distributor, but it's going to damage my... You can't make that conclusion just because, like, especially in the transition when it's going to take people a while, especially people who are not accustomed to doing any kind of code signing, like all the open source Mac applications or applications that are not updated that frequently, to get on board and say, okay, I guess if we don't want to be put in this in this ghetto, like, this is the flip side of the, the trusted, great AAA developers on the Mac platform being given preferential treatment. Uh, because they're willing to go through these hoops, it means that everyone else who was just kind of like, well, we've been going along fine. We've got this app, it's popular, it's doing its thing. Now now they have to do something they didn't have to do before to get into that good camp. And so saying it may damage your computer, I guess that's true. It may, but like the vast majority of software is not malware. It seems kind of harsh. Uh, and then you should move it to the trash. It's not even like like they're going to tell you, they're not, you know, may damage your computer. In case it's not clear to you, we think you should just chuck this thing. Yeah. So this is a pretty big stick to make pe- anybody who's on the up and up get an uh, get an Apple certificate, sign your applications. No approval process, no cut of profits. Just get the certificate and sign it, so you don't won't be subjected to this. Uh, Dustin calls it a fear mongering dialogue. It is kind of fear mongering, but th- like if you want the benefits of I'm a trusted developer, uh, I I you know I want all the benefits that come with me doing the right thing. The flip side of that is that the people who aren't willing to do those things uh, get uh, get dinged. Uh, so, I think that dialogue is kind of harsh, but it's it's the it's the flip side of the thing that everybody wants. You can't have the good part without the bad part, and this is the bad part. And I don't think it will take that long for developers to do this, and especially since like 
who installs software? You know, you kind of want someone who's not really knowledgeable about computers. You want them to buy from the Mac App Store because it's problem free. And you, if they're, you maybe don't want them downloading and installing random applications. Now, maybe you want to install IDM for somebody and you just say, okay, you know, cancel. You, you can click through that dial. It's not stopping you from doing it. It's just a scary message. You're like, yeah, no, IDM is fine. I've been using it for years, you know, and, and go on your way. But this this ugliness is motivation for the Adium developers to get a certificate and sign. And I, I, I'm assuming they will. Assuming that it does not impair their license restrictions or whatever, they will do that. Now, the other issue that uh, related to the sort of the haves and have-nots, the good guys and the bad guys split that's, you know, uh, starting to happen here is that, and this continues to be a source of contention for even the good developers, Apple has been introducing APIs that are only available to applications that are in the Mac App Store. And this continues in Mountain Lion. So the iCloud applica- uh, APIs. Uh, iCloud is neat. You want to you use it, you got to be in the Mac App Store. Why? No technical reason. Just that's, uh, that's Apple's carrot and stick approach all over again. Like the carrot is, hey, iCloud APIs, the stick is, and you better get in our App Store if you want them because, I don't know, because they want to couple their profits because they think the Mac App Store is a better experience for all users and they want to encourage people to go in. They're using every tool in their disposal to try to get you into the Mac App Store. Uh, notification center reportedly reportedly from the chat room I don't even remember who said it is also you know it's, it's a headline feature of, of Mountain Line you can look at it on Apple's website it's very similar to Growl and notification center on, on iOS 5 you want to use that apparently you need to be in the Mac App Store and so the obvious question for all the AAA Mac developers is hey if we do this thing where we get your official certificate and we put the Apple stamp of approval and we, we uh, connect our reputation with this application can we use iCloud then? Can we use Notification Center? And people who have asked that in their briefings to Apple, Apple has been nothing to announce, no blah, blah, you know, wishy-washy. Like, they don't have anything to say about that right now. Clearly, Apple is getting the feedback. I'm sure they're getting an earful of it now. That's what people want. They say, you know, we don't want to be subject to your approval process. We don't want to have to be sandboxed like the Mac App Store ones do, especially if you can't resolve this untenable issue where, you know, transmit the FTP application literally cannot exist with the sandboxing as it currently exists now because it, it, the whole point is that it writes, reads and writes arbitrary locations in, in, the, in the file system. Uh, you know, we would, we would like to be as good a citizen as we can be, but we just can't be in the Mac App Store because our application just doesn't fit in your definition of what a proper Mac App Store application is. But we do want to use the iCloud APIs. We do want to use notifications that are why do we have to be ghettoized in terms of feature parity and API use uh, simply because we're not in the Mac App Store. It, so it's that's still a rough situation in the middle there. And that's a place where developers, uh, uh, I'm sure, are sending Apple their feedback and should be sending it and saying, hey, if we sign, if we if we connect ourselves to this app, let us use all the APIs. And I really hope Apple does uh, reverse that decision. You're upset. Yeah, was, uh, like it, I'm upset anytime. Like I can't. Uh, anytime I think Apple's making a mistake, because I can't think of like what what is the what is the motivation for keeping iCloud Mac App Store only. If you think Apple's evil, it's like well they want to cut off your money, they want to have control, they want to they, they want to control your destiny completely. They want you under their thumb, and getting you in the Mac App Store does that. Uh, but I don't think Apple is cartoonishly evil. So you have to, what else is it? Uh, the light side thing is they really believe that the Mac app store experience 
as proven by the iOS experience, is such an enabler of more people buying applications, more people using them, people having fewer problems, that a controlled experience for application distribution, installation, and uninstallation is better for the customer. And what's better for the customer is better for Apple because more people buy Apple stuff. And eventually is better for the developer. Like everyone hated the iOS app store where they had such tremendous control and approval process and all that stuff. But the benefit is that people are not afraid to install apps on their phone. Right. And you, if you're a developer, you're going to complain about the approval process until 8 bazillion people install your stupid tilting beer drinking application on day one of the iPhone. You would have never gotten 8 million people to download your stupid beer drinking application the day a new iMac came out. Because installing applications on, on Mac OS was scary. And installing it on iOS was tap, tap, tap. Look, and you tilted, it looks like I'm drinking a beer. <laughs> Cha-ching. <laughs> that, that experience, you know, that's the light side explanation. That Apple really believes this is good for everybody. Yes, it's super painful and annoying for developers and there's issues to be worked out. But it's good for Apple because we get some of your money and everything. And, uh, and we get to pick what's on our platform. It's good for users because they're not afraid to install applications. And eventually, eventually, it, we swear to you, it's good for developers. Uh, and again, in cases like applications that cannot exist on the Mac App Store as the rules currently apply, like SuperDuper, which is an awesome application, or Transmit, which everybody loves for file transfer, that's, that's something has to be fixed there. That's like a problem to be addressed. Because uh, what are they going to say? Oh, we think file transfer is not important anymore. Or we, we think disk cloning is something that should only be handled by the OS vendor. And we don't care that uh, billions of users love that product. You know, That's something that needs to be worked out. And that's, that's a source of frustration. And the fact, again, that the sandboxing stuff, like the people like, like uh, Panic who are asking about Transmit, I didn't even know if uh, Dave is asking about Super Duper, but they would like to know, so what's the deal with the sandboxing? You said we all have to be sandboxed by such and such a date, but we, can, we literally cannot... <laughs> cannot distribute our application sandbox so we cannot be in the Mac App Store. Or or say they're in the Mac App Store now and they have to pull themselves out. We've got to leave the Mac App Store if you enforce this rule. So they move the deadline. Yeah. And still no word on sandboxing. So we're all still waiting on that. Uh, Apple loves to think about these things long and hard, kind of like they presumably thought long and hard on Gatekeeper. And I, I think it's a good sign that Gatekeeper uses a lot of the things that... Uh, that Will Shipley suggested. I, I think Will Shipley was briefed, actually, on Mountain Lion. Uh, and why would he be briefed? Well, because they said, hey, you know that thing you wrote the big blog post about, which you reread because you're a prominent Mac developer? Well, let's show you what we did. Uh, what do you think of this? It's kind of like what you suggested, but it's actually different and better and uh, in interesting ways. That's, I guess that's why you brief Will Shipley on it. But that's the new kinder, gentler Apple. They don't just implement your thing and, and you find out with everyone else. They'll come in and say, hey, we like that idea. Take a look. I don't know what the cause and effect relationship is. They may have been working on something like that for a while. But clearly, Apple is A, being influenced by developers and B, not above acknowledging that fact. It used to be that, you know, Apple would read a bunch of stuff and be influenced by it, but they would never come out and say, oh, because uh, Will Shipley uh, suggested this idea, that's why we did it. They would just never do that. It wasn't, it wasn't done. But you don't admit where our inspiration comes from. You know, you can draw your own conclusions. But now they're just by, you know, they're, they're coming out and saying, you know, we, we're going to brief you. And we read what you did. And check this out. Isn't this cool? And that's nice to not be stingy with the, uh, with the praise or anything like that. It could be some sort of legal thing why they don't want to do that. Say, oh, Apple took my idea. I'm going to sue you. But that's the kind of relationship people want to have with Apple is that they, they, they can call Will Shipley in and show him what they did and not think he's going to go home and get a lawyer and sue them for stealing his idea. 
You know, that's not the world we want to live in. We're going to also say thanks very much to Squarespace. What is it? This is a fully hosted, completely managed environment for creating and maintaining a beautiful website, blog, portfolio. Who's it for? It's for anyone who wants to create an amazing website. Okay, blogging, business stuff, photography, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. They can power sites of all sizes. And, and what's amazing is they give you full control over your content and site customization. You can build a website, you can create a blog, and you can do it 10 times faster with their platform. And they just came out with something that's totally awesome. I love it. Merlin Man has a really great example of this. Uh, and, and, and basically what this is, they call it Slideshow 2. And uh, they've added tons and tons of options. So you've seen these really cool slideshows out there that have, you know, they move, they slide, they have links, they do all that. And you think, man, this stuff is really complicated. It's not if you use their stuff and it's all built in. You've got to check these guys out, squarespace.com. And when you go there, use the code Dan sent me to the number two, and you will get a 15% off for your first six months. Amazing service. Thanks very much to squarespace.com for making this show possible i guess i got one more thing on molo you don't like the molo huh i i like i like the it's growing on me i like it a little bit more it still seems a little silly and unnecessary it is but, but when you like when you say lion. it i like it i like saying mountain lion mountain lion yeah I don't, if you don't enunciate, you just swallow it up and go mountain lion can't you just call it 10 dot 10 dot 8 and 8 yeah i don't know so this is something you were getting at uh, earlier in the show. Mountain lion could potentially keep us in the region of pain of Mac OS X versions, either for a longer period of time or perhaps perpetually. And the region of pain has traditionally been defined as 10.x.0 through 5-ish. <laughs> so those are the versions where you're like, all right, so 10.x.0, everyone's like, okay, the, the point one is going to be out in like a few weeks and there's going to be bugs or whatever, but we'll get over it. But it really does take these releases a while to settle down. Now, you mentioned how 10.6 was so great and stable and everything like that. 10.6.0 was not that great. And uh, 10.6, like in the early 10.6 versions, I, w- I avoided upgrading some computers because I had upgraded other ones and seen a bunch of problems. I'm like, no, I don't want to deal with that. And app incompatibility and all sorts of things. Where, you know, app incompatibility is something the Apple can control, but it's like, look, if a bunch of my applications don't run right on Snow Leopard yet, I'm not going to go to Snow Leopard yet. So I wait a little bit, 10.6.1, 10.6.2. Then those app developers get around to, okay, here's the Snow Leopard native, uh, you know, not Snow Leopard native, but here's one that works with Snow Leopard. We resolve that annoying bug and, you know, the, the, you know. so by the time you pull the trigger when it's up to 10.6.3, 10.6.4 or something, all your apps are ready for it. Apple's wor- worked out the worst of the bugs. And then you get into like the salad days, 1065, 1066, 1067, 1068. And by the time you get to 1068, like, man, 10.6 is solid, right? Like, that's what you're running on your little minis that are running headless somewhere, right? It's the latest version I mean, of 10.6. That's, that's, that's what you want because you know you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And like, but, you know, 10.5 went up to like 10.59. Did they get a 10.510? I don't remember. Like, by the time you get into those late dots, you know they're not adding features anymore and they're just stamping out bugs. Uh, and that's, you know, that's I mean, a no confidence builder. Yeah, and there's no reason you have to upgrade to a new operating system either. You could say, well, if you're happy with that, just stick with it. But Apple has just been so aggressive about uh, encouraging people to upgrade to the next operating system that sticking, like, for example, sticking with 10.6, that's really tough. Like, I have one machine left in my house that has 10.6, and, like, 
not a week goes by that I don't download an application and see a little circle with a line through it over the icon <laughs> telling me, oh, this is 10.7 only. Like, I don't even think about it. I just download it and I didn't look at the fine print and I get it in my applications folder. Nope, sorry, 10.7 only. You're like, why is this 10.7 only? This thing has doesn't use any 10.7 specific APIs, you know, because Apple is so good at encourage, you know, it, it may be 10.7 only because just because they wanted to use like uh, some uh, Objective-C feature that only exists in 10.7 or is easier to use in 10.7. They didn't have to worry about 10. Like, there's so many reasons to follow Apple's lead that very quickly, your ability to stay on an old operating system and also continue to participate in the community of people developing new applications and updating existing applications is impaired. So when the releases were longer and you had 10.6, 5 through 8 or whatever, then you could say, like, that's nice. The, the, the OS isn't changing much. Everybody's apps have been updated to be, to be uh, you know, Snow Leopard compatible. And it's just it's just smooth sailing for a while before the next big disruption. Uh, now, what is Lion going to be up to before Mountain Lion comes out? Lion is on 10.7.3 now. Is it even going to get to 10.7.5 before it's rudely replaced with 10.8.0? Yeah. And then we're back into the bad times again, right? And, and that's exacerbated by the fact that some basic stuff that work, that should work right in 10.7 didn't work right in 10.7.0. Fine, we're used to that. But we're, we're on 10.7.3 and Safari is still blanking out my tabs and going all white. And my mouse still occasionally, you, I'll wake the computer up and the mouse won't move anymore. And I got to plug and unplug. And that didn't happen on Snow Leopard. And we're up to 10.7.3. All right. So maybe like just before Mountain Lion comes out, 10.7.3. Four or five issues out, and these problems disappear. But then I got a whole new crop of problems. Like, will we ever? Will we perpetually be in a state where we're in the immature ringing out period of an operating system if we're going to do yearly releases? And that's why I really hope Apple takes to heart this increased uh, churn rate and says we've got to be more conservative with what we change in these OSs. We can't do, you know, that's maybe they go to a TikTok model because if they don't go to a TikTok model, I think users will. A TikTok model is. You do one big radical change and then you refine. And you do one big radical change and then you refine. And it doesn't have to do with how much new WYSI stuff on this is on the screen. It has to do with like little annoying bugs. Like, oh, we changed the way Wi-Fi works. And now Dan can't get his Wi-Fi to work consistently. <laughs> Only do that in, I forget if it's the tick or the talk. Do that like every other release. It's not a big headline feature. Like the little airport, you know, it, everything looks the same. Like they change, but underneath it, so they had to rip out the guts and totally replace it because they're, they're revising the operating system. Fine, good, do that. But... Only do the the totally overhauling Wi-Fi in one release. And then the next release, do not overhaul Wi-Fi again. Just hammer out the bugs, right? Because the, no matter how an operating system is, from a perspective of like, do I like how the apps look? Do I like what they did to mission control versus expose and stuff like that? That's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the basic functionality of like, can't wake from sleep, uh, networking not reliable, uh, L- little annoying niggling bugs that are like, oh, come on, do I, do I even want to think about this anymore? I don't want to think about Wi-Fi working. It's just supposed to work. And when it doesn't, you feel just betrayed by the entire experience. You, you know, you don't even have time to get mad about mission control or some other thing or reverse scrolling or whatever your pet peeve is UI-wise. Because UI, I'm, I'm willing to roll with the punches and let them change because that stuff can change. But if Wi-Fi doesn't work right, man, that makes me think, oh, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have upgraded. I don't, I don't know. I don't have a lot of these problems with Lion, but like the Safari one drives me nuts because they even backboarded that to, to 10.6. It's a downgraded experience in terms of reliability. I right. held off on Safari 5.1 for a really long time. And you would think by 10.7.3 that I would ironed out. Nope, they do not. Uh, so if they're going to do that in 10, in, in, you know, if they're going to do that type of cycle, if, if they keep doing this, like if 10.8 is just like 10.7 has been, then what people are going to say is, well, 10.7 is finally stabilized to 10.7.7 
like with some security patch or you know whatever. Because they do continue to update them after the new one comes out, mostly with security updates, right? They'll say, well, I'm not going to upgrade to 10.8. I'll wait for 10.9. Like, skip every other release. You know what I mean? And that will be users voting with their, not so much with their wallets, but with their, you know, with their point releases to say, I can't be on this cycle. I can't every single summer totally destroy my computer's ability to base, to do basic functions and wait for two more point releases. And if I say, oh, I'm not going to upgrade to 10.8 until it gets to 10.8.4, well, then, like, 10.9 is just being announced then, All right? So Apple really needs to, if they're going to increase the cycle like this, they really need to nail down uh, the reliability. Otherwise, either their adoption curve is going to suffer or their reputation is going to suffer. Because if they keep up the adoption curve by really encouraging everyone to just keep upgrading, 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 people are going to start to think of Macs as being less reliable, you know, because these little, uh, you know, point oh problems will still be there. Uh, and And if they don't keep up the adoption curve, then they're going to be in a situation where, People are waiting and they're like, well, we just released 10.8. Why isn't everybody upgrading? Well, because 10.7 has finally settled down. They don't want to go through that again. So they're just going to wait for 10.9 because they know it's coming next year. You know what I mean? So this will be, this is a puzzle for them. And this, by the way, uh, some people complained about that in my line review. Like, why didn't you complain about all these little things that don't work? Every point zero is like that. And when I write my review, I'm writing off the dev previews and maybe I get to see the point zero. I don't like to, in an OS review, say... Uh, this is super buggy, so you shouldn't buy this operating system. Because like the expiration date on that statement is usually pretty short. Uh, and in in a month or a week or whatever, when the point one or point two comes out, history has shown that most of those things get ironed out. I couldn't have predicted the future that 10.7 was going to have these problems and that they wouldn't be ironed out by the point one, the point two, or the point three. Right. So I, in all these reviews, I have to say, I don't even try discuss the topic really. I say, look, it's as reliable as I expect a point zero to be. Uh, and these minor issues are going to get ironed out. Now I think in the 10.8 review, I have to acknowledge the fact that look, that didn't work out so well for 10.7, and if they are going to advance this cycle, it's something we need to think about in, in terms of reviewing it. I, I don't think it's fair to to ding the OS and say you shouldn't upgrade to this, because that's kind of like implicit in all the things. Like, look, don't upgrade until all your apps are, up, are ready, until it's settled down or whatever. But overall, what they're trying to do with this OS gets thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways, you know. Uh, so... I don't know. I'll have to think about that for 10.8. I will probably just judge the features and new applications on on their intentions and their implementation and not get hung up on predicting the future of niggling little bugs. So what do you think? It's uh, nothing less than I expected from you. Mm-hmm. I really wish I do could talk about the internals because there are some talk about them. That, no, can't do it. Can't do it. It's under it's under NDA. Well, I would, today was supposed to be the day we were talking about file systems. Remember that? I do remember that. That so was a long, long time ago. ago. I still have notes on that. Uh, I have not looked, so I can say this without fear of breaking NDA. But my guess is that nothing exciting happened on the file system front in ten eight. But I don't know that for a fact because I literally have not looked. Uh, but I will be sad if that's true. Very sad. And we can talk about why, perhaps, on another show. Yeah. I'm glad uh, that... Uh, well, so, a couple, couple of questions, I guess, that are sort of related to the way that you will maybe be writing this review and, and using... What are your plans, then, immediately? Will you be confiscating your wife's computer? Will you be installing Molo on it? Uh, I installed it and ran it on, I mean, I have many disks, so I installed it and, and played with it on my Mac Pro last night. 
Uh, but when I'm writing my review, I like to have like my environment on my Mac Pro to do the writing. Sure. And I don't like to sort of, uh, and I like to be testing a pretty clean machine. So I have a dedicated iCloud account uh, just for review writing. So it's not, it's not my real contacts. It's not my real stuff. It's not the accumulated cruft of 20 something years of me bringing my information around. Like I don't want it to try something in the OS and have it not work because I have some corrupted preference file from 10 years ago. So right. I like to have a nice clean install, a new Apple ID, and just get like the experience that a new user would get setting everything up and doing things. Uh, so that's why I need a second computer. Now, since the uh, Lion review, when I did need to steal my wife's computer to have hers running Lion next to me, uh, she's since gotten a new computer. She has a 11-inch Air now with the, the big Thunderbolt display and everything. Uh, so the old MacBook Pro, it's like the pre-unibody MacBook Pro, the one right before that, mm-hmm. is completely free for me to use and not have to bother her computer at all. Uh, of course, so that's what I did today. I installed Mountain Lion on it, booted it up, logged in, and core image doesn't work, so nothing draws. The menus don't draw. I can't launch any applications. I can just sit there looking at the dock and the menus. I can't even pull down a menu. So there's some sort of GPU driver bug in the preview. Obviously, it's a preview release. In the preview release of Mountain Lion, which means that I cannot actually use her MacBook Pro until, I guess, the next developer preview. So uh, I was trying to install it in VMware. I heard you say that people were saying that they did not have success installing Mountain Lion in VMware, but I've heard from at least one person who has had success installing oh. Mountain Lion in VMware. So, so the person, uh, I don't know the details of the person I had just seen, Arnold Kim, who does the, uh, the Mac rumor stuff. Uh, that's who does the, he does the Mac rumors, right? I, th- yes, I think so. Yeah. So he, he had retweeted somebody else who had a screenshot of the kernel, pa- of a kernel panic when trying to yeah, but who knows? I mean, that was, that was, Darn yeah. near 24 well, hours ago. A lot has happened since v- VMware is touchy. Like, I, I, in preparation for getting Mountain Lion on, I wanted to update, update my Lion VM uh, to 10.7.3 because it was on 10.7.2 because I hadn't run it in a while. And by the way, running Lion in VMware is actually officially supported and allowed. It's not some illicit thing. Like, VMware supports it. You're allowed to do it. Uh, it works without any hoops jumping through. You just straightforward install. And during the 10.7.2 to 3 update in VMware, uh, this progress bar like stopped midway through and I noticed that time machine was grinding the disk. So I said, all right, stop time machine. Don't back up, you know, stop backing up. Let, let VMware go. And VMware would not progress anymore. And I, I'm assuming it's some sort of weird interaction of like file locking, or maybe there's some sort of deadlock or where, where VMware is waiting for permission from a lock acquired by time machine to continue its work. Uh, if, someone wasn't thinking along those lines and wasn't running like FS usage like I was from the command line and doing other, you know, D-trace type stuff to figure out what the heck is going on. They may just assume that it's impossible to upgrade from 10.7.2 to 3 in VMware. But that's not true. It was just a, I'm assuming somewhere in some sort of like a deadlock situation. So what I did was totally shut down the VM machine, quit the application to release all locks, turned off time machine, brought the thing back up, redid the update from, from the last snapshot, and suddenly it worked. So for the people who tried to install Mountain Lion and the kernel panicked, you know, maybe something else was going on that was angering VMware because it's, you know, it's it's the type of thing where that's why I think it's completely plausible that somebody was successful and somebody was not or that somebody was successful with their second try, but not with their first try. So I maintain hope that it will that I will be able to install it. And I also hope that whatever the next developer preview of Mountain Lion is will install on my wife's old laptop so I don't have to steal her MacBook Air again, which she has angrily forbidden me from doing but we'll see how that is. 
Yeah, I, you know, it's also actually I don't even think I can do that because like say I steal the air and I put it on the desk next to me. Obviously, yeah. I'm not going to actually install Mountain Lion on the air. Like it's always on an external drive. But then how do I connect the external drive to the air? I don't have any Thunderbolt drives. And all of the external drives that are currently connected to our computer are done through the Thunderbolt display. And that's all on the other side of the rooms. It's not movable. So I'll have to figure something out. Or I could just try to get a writing environment up in Mountain Lion. I mean, I suppose I could do that. It just, it just doesn't feel right to me. I like having the separate stuff. But now that you're on a yearly cycle for this, I would think that you would need a computer that you could dedicate for this. It's clearly something you're going to need. It's not like you're going to get, you know, three years in between your reviews anymore. You'll be, you, you will be working on this on an ongoing basis. You will require a dedicated computer for this. I would think that you need to acquire one. Well, in the natural cycle of recycling computers, that should happen. Like my wife's MacBook Pro, which is, you know, it's got four gigs of RAM. It's a, it's a quality machine. It's nothing wrong with it. It's it's perfectly capable of running a mountain line, even though it's not, you know, it's not even a unibody MacBook Pro. So it, in theory, that should be like, oh, she gets a new computer and I use her old one. And if they ever make new Mac Pros come out, Ivy Bridge, Marco thing, ugh, killing me. If they ever produce a new <laughs> produce a new Mac Pro, I will buy one pretty quickly, and then I'll have an old Mac Pro, and this machine is still awesome that I'm using right now, and that old Mac Pro would become the machine. So I don't feel like I need to buy a separate machine for it. I should just have them as a natural process of me constantly getting new Macs. It's just we're in a weird situation here where the Mac Pro refuses to ever be updated, and the one machine that I have that's perfect for testing Mountain Lion on, uh, the particular developer preview uh, that we have, uh, available now is angry. Core, core image is very angry. Is the core image? It could have been CL instead of CI. I couldn't tell from the font. It could, if it was CL, it could be an open CL thing. Or not? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> graphics driver is angry, very angry on that machine, so it's useless. Gruber says that I should end my show early and sit in on a talk show. I can't tell if he's joking. Um, it'd be great if you want to. But you, you have to stop that. I'm trying to for him. It's, that's that's so we can do his show. That's the oh, hard that's stop. Not, you got to tell me that. You say, oh, we got a hard stop at 1.30. It's like, oh, you got to go somewhere. It's just Gruber. That's not a hard stop. Come on. Like, he's ever going to be there at 1.30 exactly. Anyway. He says he's listening right now. He is. That is, that's, this is strange. He's actually here listening live. I don't think, he, I don't know if he ever does this. Maybe he's sick. But anyway, I'm, I'm all done. Uh, so I will stop at 1.30 as requested. You don't want to sit in? You don't want to be part of the talk show? I'll, I'll sit in for a little while. I can't sit in for the whole show. If he really wants that, I don't know if he's just kidding. Well, do you get it? You straighten it out with him if you if he wants to do it. We got to end this show first, and then we can. Yeah, we'll it. end. Well, so we'll end this show. So uh, here's what you got to do. You want to follow this guy on Twitter? Follow Syracuse. No Z. S i r a c u s a. No Z in there. And uh, you now you're blogging now. You're writing recipes of pasta. How to make pasta? So maybe <laughs> tell what's the URL for that. That's syracuse.tumblr.com because I didn't come up with a good domain for it. I think that is a good domain in 2012. That's what every, all the kids have that. So yeah, the, I, can I you post put that almost once a year. Can you put that into the show notes? Can you? I, I will you? do that even though we have not discussed it. I'll put it in the show notes. Because right, now yeah. we have discussed it. Well, we have. So the show notes, 5x5.tv slash hypercritical slash 55. And uh, we want to say thanks very much to the, the lovely ladies at... Uh, Helpspot.com, the best darn help desk software in the business. So go uh, check them out, too. They are supporters of this show. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm Dan Benjamin. 
And by the way, we just wanted to mention uh, one more thing, which is last week you could not record. So we did a, I, I don't know if it was authorized or unauthorized, but you, you didn't want it in the hypercritical stream, which is understandable. No, it wasn't a hypercritical show. It was kind of critical. Yeah, you can call it kind of critical. It's a different show. Kind of critical. Uh, Marco Arment and Merlin Mann joined me for a tribute to you where we criticized some things. And uh, so that episode 54. It was not hypercritical. Was, it was a tribute. Right? Yeah, that was <laughs> right. <laughs> a little Jack Black mm-hmm. reference for those of you in the audience. Um so we had episode 54 of Hypercritical was actually just a public service announcement. It was a non-episode, and I only received one complaint about that. Somebody who said, it, I'm paraphrasing, but I, I was all ready to go, and I hopped in the car, and I was ready for my Hypercritical, and instead <laughs> I got you. this crap. You were telling me there was no Hypercritical. Shame on you. And uh, to that person and anybody else who had a similar experience, I apologize uh, that was why I did want it to go into the stream so that that would not happen. So I'm sorry if I let you down. Uh, but yeah, if uh, you have, if you want to complain to someone about that, complain to me because I will not let anything in the hypercritical feed that does not feature me. Nor, never, nor, never and you know going what? to happen. I think that's perfectly valid. It's your show. And for people who who didn't like it, this is why you should always subscribe to these special feeds. Subscribe to the After Dark. Subscribe to the special. Subscribe to At the Movies. They're low volume. They're not there all the time. But you want to have them on your iPod, so just put them in there. Yeah. So shame on them. Yes. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and uh, we'll be back again next week. Bye. Bye.